When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hey, if you listen to this program, then one of the things that I love to talk about is business trust. I also like to talk about fraud and how it affects all of us in our business lives. And so we have a fantastic guest for you today who I don't know why I keep talking to these Forbes 30 under 30 founders. They make me feel a little old, but wonderful company. He's going to share all about it. So it's my pleasure to introduce to the program, Ronan Burke. Ronan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Allison. Yeah, so you are the CEO and co-founder of Inscribe. In basic words, tell everybody what wonderful thing you do for business today. Sure. So at Inscribe, we're automating manual reviews in financial services companies. So if you're a bank or a fintech, you need to ask your customers for information when they're being onboarded or when they're applying for a loan. And this information is usually sent into an operations team where they have to very manually analyze it for various different checks. And so we're building software that helps speed up and increase the accuracy of these checks and reviews. And I appreciate that. And I know there's so much that have been compounded in the fintech space in recent years, but I also know there's so many businesses and individuals and fraud comes in so many forms. Tell us a little bit about how your products and your different services help a company keep those risk exposures down? Yeah. So there are various types of fraud that affects financial services companies. And the particular area where we focus on is application fraud. So it's at the point of application where fraud occurs. And what can happen here is we can split them into two categories. So we have first party fraud and third party fraud. First party fraud is where the person, the actual person applying is who they say they are. However, they provide misleading information about themselves. So they provide an incorrect address to say or purport that they're living in a different country than they actually are living in, or they increase their income or revenue a little bit more to get a better terms on a new personal loan or a new business loan. Uh, and then there's also a third party fraud, which is where somebody uses somebody else's identity entirely mm-hmm. and they steal this information online and then they apply using that stolen information and get access to a product or service, which all the information is correct, but it's not theirs. And so these two fraud vectors can wreak havoc for a financial services company. So if, if one of these fraudsters gets access to the product, um, if it's a personal loan or a business loan and worth tens of thousands of dollars or a few hundred thousand dollars, you might give this loan out to them and three months later, they stop repaying the loan and you, you never hear from them again. Or there are other cases too where they can get access to the platform and then they resell access to that account on the dark web later on to some other criminal activity or fraud ring 
and they can be the ones then who do the damage. And so there's almost a marketplace of, of these types of activities online where you can make a lot of money for these. And there's a, a lot of organized crime and opportunistic fraudsters making the most of it. Give us a little background because you don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to tackle this problem of fraud. So help our listeners understand a little bit of your background, where you came from, where the concept for Inscribe originally was birthed. Originally from Ireland and always very uh, technical and engineering mindset growing up and was always building things. And it was actually my co-founder, Connor, who was working on a project at a national bank in Ireland. And they were actually working on something quite similar where they were trying to use machine learning and automation to try to identify risk at the point of, of application. And it was at this national bank where he saw how difficult it was for this bank to adequately tackle this problem. And there were like, all this, all the off-the-shelf solutions weren't good enough. And the solution they were trying to build themselves was taking much longer than expected and was going way over budget. And at the time, we discussed it at length at the time, and we knew there was something here, but we didn't act on it. However, it was about a year after this when we started speaking to fintechs. And so we thought this problem was isolated to large banks, like the largest banks in each country, and the fintechs would have this problem sorted. But when we spoke to fintechs, we actually realized they too struggled with automation and using machine learning to in their risk departments. And that's when we knew, hey, there's certainly an opportunity here for us to explore and that's when we started looking more into the problem and speaking to more and more folks in the fintech industry. And we, then we combined that with our own projects and interests outside of academia in terms of like just building machine learning models to do various different things. And we had the right technical skill sets, and then we were exposed to the correct kind of business application. And then those two worlds combined, and we started working on various different prototypes. And, uh, and then, yeah, you, you register a company, and then it just snowballs, and it gets bigger and bigger, you get your first company, first customer, and then your first, uh, your teammates join and it just snowballs from there. And if it's working, it just keeps on going. How'd you get from Ireland to San Francisco? Yeah. So one of the early learnings we had was that a lot of the fintech innovation uh, in the world generally happens in the United States. And so there are some like good neobanks in Europe. And back in 2013, there were even some good neobanks there and fintechs as well. But the majority of the fintechs were actually based in the United States. And so when we were looking at potential customers and uh, wanting to work with them, it just there's a gravitational pull towards the states just to be closer in terms of time zone, but also in terms of proximity in a pre-COVID era, era where you could actually meet these folks in their offices. And we did visit some operation centers in in California of these large fintechs to just be on the ground and look at these operation centers behind the scenes. And so we used to just frequently fly over to the states for these business meetings, and then eventually decided to move over here a little bit more fully when the business need justified it. But in saying that, we do still have a product and engineering team in Dublin, Ireland, and our DTM team out here in the Bay. So we are a co-located company with our headquarters in San Francisco. Thank you for that. Hey, I'm on it. I always get curious when we talk to co-founders. So Connor is your co-founder. So mm -hmm. how are you all dividing the roles? How do you make sure that you're in the right way and you keep that healthy co-founder relationship? Connor is interesting for multiple reasons, but he's also my twin. I guess he can't go that far, can he? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so we have very like, aligned uh, interests and perspectives and we work very well together. But yeah, of course, for the purpose of business, it is good to have clear split of responsibilities. And so in the early days, a natural divide just started uh, revealing itself in terms of I was 
talking to more customers. I was out there in, in the field a bit more. And then Connor was started gravitating more towards running the building of the software. And I was still building software at the time. And Connor was also building or talking to customers at the time. But over uh, as time progressed, it was clear that one of us needed to make a focus on each respective part of the business. And so now I'm more focused on the commercial side of the business. There is always a lot of overlap and we do collaborate quite a lot. Like I'm still very involved in product and Connor is very involved with customers as well, particularly with integrations. We, we do share a lot of responsibilities. So coming up and building this company, I know you're backed by Y Combinator, Encore Capital, Crossing Link Capital, Foundry Group, others. Tell us a little bit about your experiences through Y Combinator and or fundraising as well. Yeah, I think YC for us was particularly valuable because we were outsiders in that we were from Ireland. We didn't, we knew almost nobody in, in the Bay Area or Silicon Valley as it's known. And I remembered just emailing tons and tons of people when we were getting started and getting almost no replies. However, when you get into YC, that suddenly changes and for many different reasons. But it's one of those cases where YC is, it re really helps people who traditionally wouldn't have uh, access to Silicon Valley just get access very quickly. And it just like puts a, a step change in terms of your trajectory. And in addition to that, they're also just like very helpful in terms of setting you on the right track of the DNA of your company in terms of really drilling in the, the important things to focus on, building product, talk to customers, and always make sure you're looking at your growth and building the business efficiently as well. And so uh, throughout the three-month program of YC, you have weekly office hours with the partners there and you also have group office hours which are which appears in other startups and it's a very good program that's designed very well to encourage the right things to be focused on and i think that the lessons we've learned there have been instilled in us in such a way that we still carry them through to how we operate the company today so it was a great um it was a great timing for us and, and then more generally with fundraising one of the biggest things i've learned is there's a lot of advice given in terms of different tactics you can utilize to increase your chances of fundraising, but it always comes down to the very simple things such as a good group of people building a product in a big market, and there's already evidence that it's growing fast. And I put a lot of evidence, emphasis on the growing fast component. So once you get past the MVP stage, you have a cohort of customers, I think growth rate of whatever metric you think is most important is a very good barometer of how easy or difficult you'll find it, it is to fundraise. And I think that's something that I've learned over time as a good North Star. I appreciate that. Let's go back to some of the things that Inscribe does and about the business. I'm intrigued. And one of the areas that you talk about is fair and equitable financial access. And this is a topic that's always very important to me. And this is why I speak to people globally is because everything isn't fair and there isn't access to everybody. Give us a little insights into what in this area and or how fintech can transform some of this problem. Yeah. Um, so this is a problem that I experienced firsthand when I moved over to the US initially, but it also just generally, there's a particular cohort and you have millions of people in the US who can't access financial services for various different reasons. It could be the that they're just either not in the financial services ecosystem via bank accounts and just utility providers. Uh, but then you also have a, folks who are in the financial services ecosystem, but their credit scores just aren't good enough for reasons that are outside of their control. And there are tens of millions of folks in the United States who don't have access to 
the same services as everybody else. And fintechs have actually been a great source of innovation here. And fintechs are actually doing a better job of serving a lot of these cohorts of people than the larger banks. And there's a lot of good innovation happening here. And one, one, of the where, one of the areas I think a lot about and also where Instagram helps is actually in analyzing customer information that can be used in place of credit scores. So if you don't have a credit score or your credit score is particularly poor, but you do actually have the ability to repay, we make it easier for financial services companies to analyze and determine that I, that actually is the case. And so how we do this, for example, is so instead of providing a credit score, you can provide information about your, your bank information, about your spending habits and also your earnings. So all your debits and credits, for example, over the past six months, it could actually be the case that you have, you've moved into a new job, you've been earning and saving and perhaps paying rent and you haven't been spending ridiculous amounts of money on irresponsible things. And for the past six months, you've actually be, you've actually shown you, you'd be a great customer for a financial service company and our products allow financial services companies analyze this information. So we help companies ingest documents and then analyze the information on those documents. And so that's one way in which we help financial services companies open up access to their products to a cohort of the population who wouldn't otherwise have access to these. And I know I, I interviewed somebody recently and I said, what's the like the big, biggest business lie out there? And they said credit scores, that we've all grown. Credit scores aren't something that are like 100 years old. It's a more modern invention. And there's a lot of people they don't serve for whatever reason, or you have one blip in your background to your point where you've changed jobs or something and it can affect you adversely. So I appreciate that aspect of your mission. Let's talk about culture and about your teams. What is it that is the internal culture and vision that you promote within the workforce for Inscribe? Yeah, that's a great question. So one thing I care a lot about is actually giving people autonomy and setting up the right environment for folks to really flourish and do their best work. And I, I find this is like setting up this environment is different for everybody, but it comes down to this idea of giving them the confidence and overall direction and goals. But then once they're set, just get out of the way and then let them do what they think is best. And it's almost like this idea of enabling folks to feel like they're the entrepreneur and have as much responsibility as they're happy to take on. And that's something that I've seen is something that's very appealing to ambitious and talented people. They want, they don't want artificial ceilings placed on, on top of them and ladders to climb. They want to work directly with customers, have very clear impact and make as much decisions themselves. So in terms of culture, I think autonomy, trust and transparency are the things that I really do care about. And then more broadly then with our values at Inscribe, we, we recently went through a values exercise and it was, a, we think of values as like a very important strategic part of how we want to execute as a company and that it's not just something that we have an about page on a website it's actually like it manifests itself every day in terms of guiding how we make decisions and also who we want to become as a company as well and your set of values can actually have a as much of an impact as OKRs for example in terms of setting goals like the, the compounding benefit of having a clear set of values and watching those have small influences every day, it really does build up over time. Oh, ab absolutely. When you talk about employees being in a position to be decision makers and be close to the clients, 
that's got to be a key piece for your scalability and how you're choosing to to grow. Yeah, and it it is one of those cases as well where you want the information flows to be as efficient as possible. And for example, if you're if you have four or five people between the customer and an engineering team, things can get quite messy. But again, you don't always necessarily want all the information from customers going straight to an engineering team. And so you do want <laughs> as somebody in the middle kind of curating and managing it. But generally, yeah, it's a, it is very powerful when you do have the distance between sources and receivers of information to be as short as possible and get those feedback loops as fast as possible too. And you're still launching new products. I recognize that you just had a, another new product launch. And what was the focus of that product? Yeah, that was, so we must recently launched our new credit analysis feature set, which is actually quite, that was related, that's related to our, uh, that pushes really what we spoke about a moment ago around increasing the access to financial services for folks who might not necessarily have a good credit score. And our credit analysis feature analyzes bank data for various different types of credit risks. And that allows us financial services companies to analyze this data uh, very quickly and efficiently. And yeah, we launched that a few weeks ago and it's been received very well. So we're very excited about what this feature can do for fintechs who, who want to open up this, this stream of customer information. I want to talk about the global world of fintech and get any of your insights and expertise, because I think there was huge disparities and I see a lot more fintech companies today crossing borders and working together, are you seeing more of um, a commonality in the global industry? Are you able to sell your products and services to a lot of other countries? Give us just a little, what you see the global landscape and trends that you're watching. Yeah. Financial services is a very interesting industry in that it's highly regulated. And due to these regulations, it's actually quite difficult for a fintech to be international. And it's usually something a fintech internationalization is something a fintech works on usually later in their life cycle but yes some companies have tried this and like revolut have tried to move into the us and then some us fintechs have tried move tried moving into europe and oftentimes it actually just proves to be much more difficult than they imagined it's almost like creating an entirely new company with a different set of customers and a different market dynamics it's a very difficult thing to do and the large banks like hsbc and like bank of the west and these institutions make it look easy, but they've been at it for decades and that's how they've achieved it. But getting over the regulatory hurdles for fintech is actually a very big barrier to offering your products internationally. And that's also a reason why fintech innovation in the United States has generally been ahead of Europe. However, there are, mm -hmm. there are areas in Europe where it is, that is, that are, Europe is ahead in some areas, such as open banking, but in terms of the number of consumer or fintech apps in the US is still ahead. And uh, I think that's, it, it's not all regulation that's causing that. It's also just the entrepreneurial ecosystem in the United States is a bit more mature and it generally is a very good starting place for new financial ideas. And yeah, I think longer term, I think Europe is catching up in terms of fintechs being founded and offering more and more products and services, which is a good thing. And especially as like, competition increases and the standards for various different mobile experiences improve as well. And I think a place where we see this particularly acutely is with when a, a neobank or a fintech app is, is released, it really shows what a mobile experience can look like for banking. And then the larger in, institutions feel the pressure then and they in turn update their mobile experiences and it just keeps on leveling up either, either side. So, you know, the more and more that happens, the better. And I, I think Europe is catching up on that now. 
Somebody that has a business that has has banks in other countries, it, it I can also see how things have gotten better in global banking and in global currency exchanges. And then I can see in other ways where it's not where we all think it it should be. But what I do appreciate about what Inscribed achieves or tries to achieve is to help companies with their efficiencies and keep that fraud down because the banking costs between all of the fraud out there and the ways people conduct fraud, it's hitting every business's pocketbook if we can't figure out how to slow it down and stop it. So for that, like I said, at the beginning of this episode, business trust is one of my favorite topics because whether you're a company forging business trust to buy your products and services, or you're forging business trust for credit and what you need, it's all really important. I want to completely jump and talk more on a casual basis and a personal basis. Ronan, what do you do for hobbies outside of driving business? Yeah, so I guess my main thing is running. So yeah, I just find running as a, it's a very accessible, convenient way to uh, get your mind off work and just it's also a lot of fun as well you, there's never an excuse not to run if you're traveling for business or you're in a new city or you don't necessarily need a, a lot of new gear with you you can just go out for a run and yeah it also helps you just see new places as well so that's a that's my go-to Ronan you come visit me in February in Chicago and you can come running <laughs> up and down my street where I live at that point in time where are you going these days for mentorship advice leadership any good books that you've been reading how are you keeping your CEO game fresh yeah I think one of the best things that uh, I do most frequently is actually just when when faced with like decisions and particularly complex decisions make sure to get multiple perspectives on it I'm always so surprised at how helpful it is just to talk to one or two mentors. And these could be investors or other founders or teammates on the team. And even just a, a fresh perspective, even if they don't have experience in the particular domain, has just been hugely helpful and it's always continuously powerful. And then one, one powerful activity I did recently is actually a couple of months ago at this point is actually there's a, a tea group style activity and the basic idea i'm not sure if you've heard of t group but i'll just explain it it's actually it's actually quite difficult to explain but it's a group set up where a group of individuals go into a room and there's no agenda or goal set uh, but you all sit around in a circle and everybody has their own individual goals but it, they, they have them in their own mind themselves and so eventually somebody speaks up and that starts off a conversation and then a lot of the goals of the folks who enter into this dynamic or all around like personal improvement and how you communicate and impact others in, in the room and so for example if somebody's goal was to get more comfortable with conflict in a, in a few minutes into this conversation what they try to do is say hey when you said that particular comment it, it didn't it didn't make me feel good and that's like them practicing conflict but the other person do, doesn't necessarily know that's their personal goal and so that creates and, it, and somebody else in the room might also be trying to get more comfortable with conflict as well and it's a very interesting dynamic and uh, there's a group called leaders in tech who run these programs and it's actually based on a stanford business school course that's run every year with their mba students and uh, there's a and this leaders in tech program basically brought it into a more startup and executive environment where you don't need to be a student to take part you're you're basically you just need to be an executive to take part and it was a very eye-opening experience for me just in terms of like, professional development and the whole idea of learning from peers a peer group environment so yeah, I'd recommend 
folks look up these uh, T groups and, and check them out. It's hugely powerful as a, as a leader in tech. Thank you for sharing that, Ronan. And as I said, CEOs are not perfect, right? So many things that, that you are faced with on a consistent basis and it's so many decisions. Being any kind of leader is so many decisions in today's modern world. Speaking about decisions, let's talk about what you all are doing today to move the company forward. And so if we came back and talked to you in two or three years, what would be the story? What kind of growth would you achieve? Are you looking for new, bigger, larger customers? What's on the horizon for Inscribe? Yeah, we've, uh, we've already committed to a lot of work. So we've a lot of already that we need to keep on doing. And so o- over the next few years, what you'll see us do is continue to build the best software out there in the market for automating flows in risk teams at, for financial service companies. And there's a lot of work for us to do there. And the ultimate benefit of this is, as you mentioned before, is reducing fraud rates, but also reducing credit loss rates and also increasing the efficiency of financial services companies. And so when you check in a couple of years, we have metrics internally that we track of estimations of how much fraud we catch every month. And it's currently about $18 million a month. And so across all these metrics that we track, we'd love for those to keep on increasing and just having a huge impact across the United States in terms of the financial services companies we operate in and uh, yeah, keep on using that impact as a North Star. Thanks, Ronan. I'm so glad that you came from Dublin to help transform fintech in the United States. I really greatly appreciate everything that you shared with us. If people want to learn more and connect with you, where should they go and what should they do? Sure. Thanks for having me, first of all. And uh, yeah, you can visit inscribe.ai to learn more, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Just search my name and I'll appear very close to the top. Thank you so much. And hey, to our listeners, if there is something that Ronan said or something that Inscribe offers as a service that you think somebody else needs to know, please forward along a copy of this podcast. And until we meet again, keep your eyes on the future and always be disruptive. Thank you again, Ronan. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.